Okay, the reading is from Philippians chapter 4 and starting to read at verse 10. And you can find that on page 1181 of the Pew Bibles. So that's chapter 4, starting to read at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. The video here is just a short clip of a number of people, many of whom you'll recognise if you watch telly at all, celebrities. Um, so we've got a bit of a problem with microphone. I'm, uh, when I preach, I'm going to go on to this mic. All right, great. And uh, there is just one moment when Russell Brand uses an expletive. Uh, I've been practising just to hit the uh, mute button at the right moment. If the word comes out, cover the ears of your children and don't complain to my bishop. All right? Great. When How I Met Your Mother first went on the air, I ran into an actress that I uh, knew, and she said, are you just, like, so happy all the time? Why am I unhappy? Okay. Okay, Stephanie Gaga hybrid person. Why are you unhappy? Why is it that you want to quit music? And I remember thinking, like, oh, that sitcom's coming. Like, that sitcom, it's coming, it's coming. And when I got it, I mean, I won't say it was a depression, but you kind of go through a disappointment because it can't, it, that fame or that thing didn't satisfy the way you thought it was going to satisfy. I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to be the opposite of this. It would be good to have stuff. It would be good to have money. It would be good to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited. I've been in. We're having this chat in a private Swish members club in East London. It's super cool. There's bare brick walls. Everyone's double good looking. But I've been inside now. I've seen the other side of looking. Worth it. It's not good. Don't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. I had everything a man could want, even then. I had, I was a millionaire. I had a beautiful, beautiful women in my life. I had um, cars, a house, an incredible, uh, a solid gold career, and, and a future. And yet, on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. As a Beatle, we made it, and there was nothing to do. We had money, we had uh, fame, and there was no joy. The media told me every day, and it's telling you every day, what it is to be successful. So you've got MTV Cribs, you've got billionaires in front of your face, you have these, these extrinsic, external goals that will say, oh, Tom Shadiak has arrived. He has the right house, the right car, he flies privately. And when I got there, it was empty. I was successful in the music business, I was successful in modeling, in television, in real estate. So I made all this money and I had all this success. And here I was going, 
okay, I still don't feel any different. We are told that if we're beautiful, if we're skinny, if we're successful, famous, if we fit in, um, if everyone loves us, that we'll be happy. But that's not entirely true. I don't like uh, wasting my time spending days just shaking people's hands and smiling, taking selfies. It feels shallow to my existence. I have a lot more to offer than my image. I don't like being used to make people money. I uh, feel sad when uh, I'm overworked and that I just become a money-making machine and that my passion and my creativity take a back seat. That makes me unhappy. If you are looking for fame to define you, then you will never be happy and you will always be searching for happiness and it, you will never find it in fame. I was surrounded by all this wealth and all this fame and all this power and yet they were all miserable and I had never been more miserable. You know, I thought that all would be helped and healed and soothed by fame. Because when I get famous, yes. then I will, I will be less lonely yes. and I will be understood and I will be loved and that love will go in and heal any of the broken parts. And then I came to see that it was actually quite isolated. You may want to get that passage open in front of you as uh, we look at some words that speak into what these guys have been saying on the video. Let me ask you, I wonder, can you think of a time when you felt thoroughly content with life? When you had a real sense of well-being, of not worrying, of not wanting for anything, or wanting anything to be different. Happy with life just as it is. I wonder if you have ever experienced that feeling. Or if, and if you have, how often have you experienced that feeling? And then let me ask you honestly, how long did it last? Years? Weeks? Days? Just hours? or just for a few moments. Could you imagine feeling like that every day of your life? No matter what is happening in life, no matter what circumstances you're in, or could you only ever imagine that if you had the right amount of money, lived in the right kind of house, living in the right kind of relationship, with your children set up for the right kind of future, with the right kind of job or pension, and a state of health that you've always wanted? Or can you imagine living in a state of real contentment that didn't depend on those things at all, that wasn't affected at all by what was going on in your life? A deep sense of well-being, no matter what. Is it something you'd like to experience? Some weeks ago, I asked two groups of people that I was meeting with in our church, and I said to them, if God could give you one thing right now, anything, what would it be? The two most popular answers were peace of mind, which we thought about a month ago, and the second one was contentment. Contentment, which is what we're thinking about just for the next few minutes together. Contentment, that sense that all is well with the world and with me. I need nothing more than I have right now, and that no matter what happens, I will feel content, at ease, in and with myself. And you may say, is it even possible? Well, I want to introduce you to someone he says he feels like that all of the time. 
all of the time. That no matter what has gone on in his life, no matter how good or bad the circumstances of life, he felt genuinely a deep sense of contentment in life. His name is Paul, and he wrote that letter that Yvonne just wrote to, uh, uh, read to us just now. He wrote it nearly 2,000 years ago, and he was writing uh, to a church that was going through tough times. But it was nothing compared to with what he was going through as he wrote that letter. You see, Paul was in a first century Roman prison as he wrote that letter. And in a Roman prison in the first century, no meals are provided. No prison clothes are provided. No blankets are provided. There are no basic standards of hygiene, and there is no human rights act or law to guard how someone was treated in prison. The only way that you could get food or blankets or clothing in prison was if friends or family provided them. And there were no friends or family for Paul in the region where he was in prison. Indeed, the reason he was in prison was because people didn't like the things he was preaching and saying. And actually, people knew it was dangerous to be associated with Paul or you might end up in prison yourself. So people wouldn't come to visit him to bring him the food and the blankets and the things that he needed. Or very few words. It was dangerous for anyone to provide for his needs locally. And so he was hungry. He was cold. He was lonely. And he was in prison not knowing what the future held from him. And yet as he writes this letter we find in verse 10 he says this. I rejoice greatly. That is mad isn't it? I rejoice greatly, literally saying, I'm over the moon. I am over the moon right now. He can't contain his excitement. Why, you may say? Well, you may say it's because he's just received a gift from some church friends in Philippi. We know that earlier in the letter, from earlier in the letter, that the church in Philippi have sent a man called Epaphroditus with a gift. Almost certainly it's some money. There's a reference here in verse 10 that their concern for him has been renewed. Almost certainly they're now sending him a gift of money. And uh, it's been a long time coming. He says, you've not been able to do it recently, but uh, at last it's come. And it's come with this man Epaphroditus. And now there's some money. Money to buy some food, money to buy some clothing, money to get some blankets. His needs are met. And maybe you say, well, that's why he's joyful. Of course he is. After all that hell, suddenly he's got something good. Of course he's joyful. But actually, no, Paul says. That is not the reason I'm joyful. Extraordinarily, he says, I would have been joyful whether that gift had come or not. That is the most extraordinary thing here. I would have been joyful whether that gift had come or not. It is wonderful to get it. You know, he's like any of us. All of us love to know we're cared about, don't we? All of us love that email or that card or that gift that someone suddenly brings round that just says, I was thinking of you, I care about you. You matter to me. Of course Paul feels all of that. He's a human being like we are. But Paul says that is not the reason why he feels as he does. You see, the way he feels about his life is not changed by the arrival of a friend, money, food or warmth. It is not changed by his circumstances. What Paul is saying here is that he has a deep sense of contentment 
that no matter whether he's incarcerated in prison or living in a palace, whether he's eating stale bread that he's sharing with the rats or eating at the finest Michelin-starred restaurant in town, it doesn't matter. He feels a deep contentment. If you don't believe me, just listen to these words. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in, pl in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, maybe you're saying, yeah, that's cheap talk. We can all say that in one of our best moments. Maybe Paul's life wasn't quite as hard as we think it is. Maybe he's just, uh, you know, a bit of blag. Well, actually, he writes in 1 Corinthians another letter that he wrote quite early on in his ministry. He describes what has gone on in his life. And this is just what he describes. He says this, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Does he sound like a blagger to you? He doesn't sound like a blagger to me. This is someone who has known the very depths of human experience. And yet he can say, I am content no matter what. Now I suggest most of us will be sceptical when we hear that. We say that's impossible, surely. Because we know from our own experience that contentment is normally conditional. It depends on the right circumstances, having enough money, the right job, the right looks, relationships, children, health, whatever it is. And there are two problems. The first is this. Rarely do those things provide the level of contentment that actually we long for. And isn't that the story of these guys? Who wouldn't love to have the money that all those guys have? Who wouldn't love to have the house? Who wouldn't love to have the access, all areas that they all have? Actually, most people grow up longing for a lot of that stuff. And yet, one by one, they say it's empty and it's hopeless. And to hear Eric Clapton say, every day I felt like killing myself. That is the reality. Do you know, it's Socrates who said, he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. He's saying you'll never be content, no matter how much more you have, more of any of it, it will not ultimately satisfy. And every single person on there is testament to the truth of that. Has anyone read The Kite Runner or seen the film The Kite Runner? Uh, and it was a best-selling novel and as a film uh, about Afghanistan, wasn't it? But um, uh, Khaled Husseini... Uh, speaks about another story he wrote. It's a bit bleak, I tell you, but this is what he says. That same night, I wrote my first short story. It took me 30 minutes. It was a dark little tale about a man who found a magic cup and learned that if he wept into the cup, his tears turned into pearls. 
But even though he had always been poor, he was a happy man and rarely shed a tear. So he found ways to make himself sad so that his tears could make him rich. As the pearls piled up, so did his greed grow. The story ended with the man sitting on a mountain of pearls, knife in hand, weeping helplessly into the cup with his beloved wife's slain body in his arms. Not sure if that ever became a bestseller for him like the kite runner did. And I guess what he's saying is that's the reality. If you keep chasing after stuff, it will ultimately destroy you and destroy those around you. So rarely do those things actually bring us the contentment we desire. And secondly, rarely do those things last. I've told some people here this story before. I took a wedding of a couple some years ago in my previous church in Croydon. And uh, before the wedding, they came to see me. It was uh, uh, a man and his uh, fiancée and their young-ish son. And I remember the bloke, he owned some mobile phone shops in Croydon. And he was a real lad. And he sat there at the table saying to me, well, I've, got, I've got it all sorted out. I'm in my late 20s and uh, I'm going to work for the next 10 years uh, at my mobile phones. I'm going to make enough money and my family are going to want for nothing. My son's going to want for nothing. My wife's going to want for nothing. And uh, in 10 years' time, I'm going to retire and we're just going to go abroad and we're going to live the life I've always wanted. That's what he told me. I sat there. It's the only time well, twice I've challenged a wedding couple. This is the second time I did it. I said to him, just be careful. You can make all those plans, but you have no idea what lies around the corner. Don't invest yourself in a whole load of stuff that in the end may lead to nothing and miss out on what you've got right now. I married them. Uh, somewhere between six months and a year after they were married, uh, I was in the church office. Someone came to me and grabbed me and said, Adrian, will you just come into church? There's a guy in church. He seems upset and he wants to talk to you. So I went into church, sat down, and it was this guy, the husband. He looked a very different bloke when I saw him that time. And uh, he just said to me, Adrian, you know how I told you uh, what was going to happen? Well, something terrible's happened. He said to me, beware of what lies around the corner. He said, my wife's just been diagnosed with cancer. Suddenly, mobile phone shops, the rest of it, meant nothing. All his dreams, all his content, everything just in an instant was changed. That's the reality, is that the things that we put our hope and, uh, and desperate hope for life in actually can't bear the weight of expectation. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote this. Most people, if they really learn how to look at their own hearts, know that they, that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are a lot of things that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The longings that arise first when we fall in love, or first think of some foreign country, or first take up some subject that excites us, are longings that no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or trips or so on. I'm thinking of the best possible ones. But there is always something we grasp at in the first moments of longing that just fades away. It, capital I-T, has evaded us. But listen, says Paul, 
I have discovered it. I have discovered the secret to the longing for the deep contentment that all of us have in life and chase after so much to find. He says, verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have discovered the secret. And he says, it is not a theory. It is not something I've read in a book. It is something I have experienced. The word he uses there for contentment has a sense of an experience that has taught him it. This is not theory, this is reality that he has discovered. So what is the secret? What is it? Capital I, capital T. Well, there's a clue in verse 10. Do you notice at the beginning of verse 10, he doesn't say, I rejoice greatly in the present that you've sent me so now I can eat and be warm. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That is in the name of Jesus. And in fact, he goes on at the end to say, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Now be careful, that verse has been ripped out of context too many times and used very badly. It doesn't mean that if you want to fly, you just go along to a flying school, jump into a plane, and without anyone teaching you, take hold of the controls, reciting, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength, it will end in tears, I guarantee you. Or if you're a non-golfer wanting to shoot 70 on your first ever round, understand that uttering, I can do all things through Jesus, as you stand on the first tee, will turn everyone an atheist when they see that first shot go and hit the clubhouse. Now, what he's saying is this. I can face all things with Jesus at the heart of my life. In any circumstance, my security, my identity, my sense of worth, my sense of well-being, my sense of being able to face any circumstance is not down to my own gritty determination or stoical resilience but it comes from knowing that I belong to Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the very center of my life. And a deep confidence that Jesus can strengthen me to do anything, anything that God has called me to do. And not only that he can be content and confident in every circumstance, but he knows he could also be sure that he will be equipped with divine power to deal with anything that faces him. Paul tells us in Colossians that he toils and struggles and labors, but with all God's energy that so powerfully works in him. Do you actually, verse 13 doesn't in the original Greek say, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It says, I can do everything in him who gives me strength. He can face life because he knows that his life is literally hidden with Christ. He has put his trust in Jesus, and now he can rely on Jesus to be his security, his rock, his fortress, no matter what. You see, contentment doesn't come from him by following a certain way of life or accumulating certain things. It comes simply by being in relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Not one of us knows what life will throw at us. There will be wide swings of fortune that no doubt await all of us. At times we'll experience bounding prosperity and all of us will know devastating hardships at some point. But Paul says to us today, 
He says to us sitting in this church today, whether this is the first time you've been or you've been here 101 times, if Christ is at the center of your life, if your life is hidden in him, you can find deep contentment that nothing else can bring. Both abundance and loss, health and illness will pass away. But Jesus Christ remains the same, utterly reliable, utterly powerful. But Jesus say, uh, Paul says you'll only discover that secret if you try it for yourself, if you experience it for yourself, if you are willing to humbly say yes to allow Jesus Christ to be part of your life. Just as we prayed for Carter, so I pray for each one of us that we would know him at the center of our lives and that transforming contentment that he longs to bring us. Amen.